A lot, of, a lot of stuff going on. We're going to start and we're going to be in Psalm 2. We're going to read each verse. And I think I'll start with Charlie. And Charlie, can you read verse 1? And we'll talk about each verse. Psalm 2, verse 1. Thank you, Charlie. What a question. Why do the heathen, why do the heathen rage? We sing the psalm in the Psalter. Why do heathen nations rage? And that's one of the ways of putting it. So what when we ask what this question is asked by the psalmist, we said we know how wondrous and glorious the psalms are. And I heard one pastor say years ago how Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are like bookends for the whole book. They're like the pillars for the whole book, and they bring it all together in the first two chapters. So what could we glean? What, what could we say about, I know when Pastor Olson does this, he, he'll ask who, what, what, you, what, what, what thoughts are about this first verse. Because anybody give an idea or any, any idea on what the psalmist is trying to ask here? Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? What is the objective here? Why is this question being asked? Anyone? Matthew. That's a very good answer. The enemies are out there, aren't they? The heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing. We go back, say, go all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament, and we see kings, and kings were very powerful, and many of them were against God. Who's the, who is the king in Exodus that, we're, that we saw and that we've, we've studied and that we, we know was such a threat to God's people? Pharaoh, that's right. And there Pharaoh says, and we're going to be looking at that today in the worship service today in Exodus 5, I do not know the Lord, he says. And Moses says, let my people go. This Lord I do not know, he says. And basically Pharaoh was saying, I'm deity. I am, I am it. And basically, he at first would not listen to Moses and Aaron, and he basically tells them, you go back to the burdens with your people, you are definitely under an enslavement, and you're going to listen to me, not God. Now, that was a real problem, wasn't it? And so the question, anyone else, why do the heathen rage? Lisi, and then, and then and Jerry next. Right. We know why they rage, but we all come to a place where this stuff is happening. Why is this happening anymore? And then he quickly says, he reminds us why it's happening. Because they're not saved, these people are not saved. But we still, every now and then, just go to that question in our minds when everything looks so terrible with the government. And right. Everything. And it might just be for a split second Amen. that we ask that question. But it takes me back to Psalm 73 when, you know, the, the psalmist is, I think it's Psalm 73. Mm. The question we go through, but then in the end, but, but then I received their hand. Amen. So that's sort of to me. Right. Part of what that question is. It's just a temporary scratching of the head, but then, oh yes, that's why. It's like when David says, I am weary with my Gro- groanings. How long, O oh Lord? How long? He says it over and over again. Gerald. Structured like poetry, 
Amen. Right. Right. Excellent. Right, and it's like the question asked in the beginning of Isaiah 53, who hath believed our report, in a sense. That's also like a rhetorical question. But I think you're right, basically, and I, I, I believe 100% that you're right. Psalm 1, it's broken down into the blessings of the godly in the first three verses. The last three verses are to the ungodly, and then it goes right into Psalm 2, expanding on the political structure and why do the heathen rage? Why do the people imagine the vain thing? What an excellent question. Very good point. Thank you, Gerald. Jacob, did you have your hand up? Someone have their hand up over here? I thought I saw. I'm sorry. But Psalm 1 is so profound. It's a, it's a verse for all ages. We can ask the same question today. Why? Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. I saw a sign today. I saw a sign. I thought it was interesting. This is how serious our political structure goes today. And actually, there are signs up in Pennsylvania that says if you vote for Fetterman for governor, you hate Pennsylvania. That's how serious this is getting. People are seeing the difference between the moral and the natural law and the wickedness that's out there. And what's happening, what is happening to our churches? What is happening to our children in the schools? And what is happening? And the psalmist asks, why? Well, unlike a lot of the social media and a lot of news today, the psalmist doesn't ask the question to present a problem. He answers the problem and shows what it is. That's, that's verse 1. Anyone else? Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? What a question. Jacob, can you, can you read, unless anyone, we can go forward, uh, if, unless anyone else has anyone to, anything to say, could you read verse 2? The kings of the earth set themselves. What does this mean? The rulers take counsel against the Lord and against His anointed. I, we could stop here and we could have about probably about 20 Sunday school classes just talking about this verse, really. Think about it. The question opens up and then the answer starts formulating the kings of the earth set themselves. They dig their heels in. And then it gets actually heightened as we, as we see here in verse 3, 
They, 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 they set themselves, the rulers, they get together in their cloakrooms and they take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. And then what happens? Let's talk about this verse, verse 2. What do we know about the kings of the earth? Look at the world leaders today. Anyone have anything to say about that? <laughs> Matthew. Sure. This, well, the, most of the world would love to see America obliterated. Sadly, even the White House would too. Look at Russia. Look at, look at, look at what's going on. How can, you, how can you differentiate and not speak about this without talking about current community conscience? How can you not? This is, it plugs right in. Lisey. Right. It's very they laugh at us in a lot of ways. Right. And I'm sorry for making the mistake of saying us. We're not them. There are people in this country, good people, that still have the values and are ready to fight and ready to do what's right and pray hard. That's a great way to fight is to start with prayer. Pray hard. And that's a very good point Lisi makes here, where the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. Anyone else? Anyone have anything to add? I think it's fascinating that the psalmist use, uses the ineffable name of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the, of the triune God, and says, Lord, and you see how the word Lord is spelled in all caps, capital letters. Now, if you, Marianne. Right. 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 I mean, the literature and the detail of what they're teaching the kids, they can't even repeat the filth. They can't do it. That's a very excellent point because, well, yesterday Lisa and I, we were driving, and uh, she reads Next Door Neighbor. That's a very good app just to see what's going on in the neighborhoods and people look out for each other and all. Two specifically said how they pulled their children out of school because of what they're learning and how horrified they are and they're just bringing them home and putting them, right? Let them, put them online, let them do something but keep them out of the schools. Matthew. Right. 
Right. That's that, that very statement is in my notes. And I and I and I made and I made sure that I annotated this that there's a pastor that I love to listen to every now and then. Pastor, I think I was speaking to someone here about, I think it was maybe Nancy, Steve Lawson, Pastor Steve Lawson. And I love listening to him. He's the one that coined this stuff out today. What used to be in the closet is out on Main Street. And look at the professionalism of how they've taken these things and made them corporate. Look at Gay Pride Day. Look at that. Can you imagine that? Denny. Yes. Mm. Right. See? And now it's accepted. Right? Corporately, it's accepted. And, and, the, and they make these commercials. And it doesn't matter if it's a billboard on 95 or it's a magazine or whatever. They just they polish it up and they put lipstick on such filth. Yeah. Right, I, I, that's exactly right. Matt, you had your hand up? Right. And that's what Pastor Lawson was talking about and how it's not only was in the closet at one point, kept hidden, it's now on Main Street and it's being funded internationally. It's now there. We didn't, I don't know, I don't think that I thought many, many years ago I would ever see it go at such a uh, rate. It's like on the German Autobahn, it's going so fast. Lisey. Yes. Right. Right. That's right. That's a great point. You know, there's other catchphrases out there that cover over the essence of the true, horrible, violent nature of what's going out there. Really, if you want to take what child trafficking really means, child trafficking is now basically the new name for pedophilia and for, and for all those kind of things. It's really, it's really serious. Matthew. Right. They've been, they've, there's all new terminology now, it's now called choice, not abortion. And basically, really, the proper term for it is aborticide. If you use aborticide in the ranks of Planned Parenthood, they hate that because you're calling it specifically murder. And yeah, there's wordplay because they have wordplay. We have our wordplay because our wordplay is truth from the Bible. It's murder. It's killing. And they don't... It's amazing how... I remember Dr. Sproul said one time, and actually after he had had a... He had, he had, had a... Uh, stroke and he came right back on the radio and he was talking about I remember one of the first things he said was if CNN had a special and a window on the womb to show what a saline abortion looked like he asked why don't they put it on there they're lobbying for it they want millions of dollars for it but they will not show what it looks like why do the heathen rage and why do they imagine a vain thing well you know I'd like to say this before we go forward I love the fact that the ineffable name of our Heavenly Father is in there in capital letters, L-O-R-D, because if you remember, going all the way back into Genesis, our Lord God Almighty did not just, He did not stop at only calling Himself the three-letter word God. 
He didn't stop there. That was just the beginning. That was an open. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the, and the earth was without form and void. Darkness fell upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. Then we hear other names. What are some of the other names we remember? Anyone? Many names. There are many wonderful names. Gerald. Sure. Amen. Amen. Right. Right. Mm. I love to hear that. Exodus 3. You tell the people of Israel, I am that I am. I am hath sent you. I am the God of your fathers. Then something massive happens in Exodus 5. Piggybacking right there when Brother Gerald says, Exodus 5, you tell Pharaoh... I am the God of Israel. First, it's the God of our fathers. Then he says, he, then, he's, then, then later the Lord calls himself Jehovah. We see the great names Jehovah, Nisai, the God of banner, the banners, and I love that name, the God who cannot be defeated. Then there's Jehovah Jireh, the great provider of all things, providing all of our wonderful blessings. But we see that how God tells Moses, I'll give you a little window into the sermon this morning. That's the thing they left out of the Ten Commandments in 1956. Why? Remember, everyone was singing, Let my people go. Why? He didn't answer why he let his people go. For worship. He says, These people are my people. And we see here how the psalmist identifies, as Jerry, Brother Gerald said here, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, this is Jehovah. And that takes me right to Psalm 110.1. My brain goes immediately when I see that, right to Psalm 110.1. Does anybody know that verse? Excellent. The Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. There's, there's Jehovah Yahweh speaking to someone else. And the Pharisees were absolutely befuddled. Why is he speaking? Why is, why is Jehovah speaking to himself? No, he's speaking to another. That is the conversation here in Psalm 2. Is Jehovah speaks to Adonai. And if you see the spelling in Psalm 110.1, the first word, Lord, the first time the Lord is identified, capital L, capital O, capital R, then it goes into capital L, little o-r-d. And that is a Hebraism talking about how Jehovah is speaking to Adonai to add on to what Brother Gerald said, and he hit the nail right on the head there. And look how important this is. We see how against the Lord and against His anointed. That's important. Who are His anointed? Does that mean just the priests? The priesthood? Anybody else? Matthew. He anointed those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Those that follow the truth. All right, verse 3. Let's go forward. Uh, Jerry, Jerry uh, Garcia over here. Jerry, can you read verse 3? Thank you. We see here human rebellion. 
We see here that why? Why do the heathen rage? They rage. We see the Pharaoh, Sennacherib, Annas, Caiaphas, Herod, Caesar, Nero, Clinton, Obama, and Biden. <laughs> Same thing. Hitler, all them. They cry out against the Lord and His anointed. And it's just as Isaiah says, Who hath believed our report? Who will listen to this? We read in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And their consciences are seared and they're so hardened, there seems to be no hope. Verse 3. Anybody take a stab at this verse? Let us break their bands asunder and cast their cords from us. Amen. That's right. Hmm. That's a great point, Dave. And they dug their heels in, didn't they? I love it. That's it. <laughs> what, what more can you read that's more profound? Well, it's all throughout Scripture. But that's a great point by Dave. It really pronounces it. Amen. Matthew. Right. Well, see, see, you're being a little too radical for us here, Matt. You're you're saying that you're saying really what's happening, but the thing is, is you gotta you gotta come down off of that if you're going to get on their level. They don't say take it away. They don't say dissemble it. They don't say you know kill it. We need change. We need change. Whose campaign slogan was that? Was that change for the good for this, mar- for this country? That was the worst eight years. I mean, they were bad. There have been some bad eight-year presidents, but that was the worst thing I've ever seen yet. And this one, this, this thing that calls himself president, he won't make it eight years. But, but, that, but can you imagine that's change? That is an absolute... It's like going from a tornado to a, hur- to a hurricane. That's a very good point Matthew makes here. Let us break their bands asunder, crush God's people. We have seen that throughout history, God's people being martyred. Let us cast their cords from us. What does that mean? You have to go to the umbilical cord to think about it this way. They want that any artery, any vein, anything, any blood flow from heaven to earth cut off. They want that umbilical cord snipped, they want it cut, and they want it completely cut off from heaven. They don't want anything to do with God. That said, let us break their bands asunder, let us cast their cords from us. We want them cut off. We don't want anything to do with it. Cut that religious umbilical cord. Remember, when they yelled, I find, Pilate said, I find no fault in him. What did they say? Crucify him. Crucify him. Anyone else in verse 3? Lisey. And then Gerald.
going to be seeing a different agent. And they were interviewing him. And he says, no, no, no. He says, the, the, the professing Christians and all that that just say, no, that's not who we're dealing with. The ones we have to get rid of are the ones that are in their Bibles. Those are the ones. That's a good point. Well, wouldn't you think a Christian would be in their Bibles? <laughs> wouldn't that be automatic? Wouldn't that be synonymous with Bible reading? Well, <laughs> that's right. And sadly, it's not that way. That's right. Gerald. Right. Amen. Right. Same sins, just different people, right? That's a good point. What were the words of God Himself when He was telling Noah? to get out his hammer, to go get out his saw, to go get the gopher wood and to start building that ark. Why? Why? What was wrong with the people? Remember what did he say? He was repentant to have created them. He said they were all doing that which is right in their own eyes. And I think that really brings this together. Relativism. How many isms there are out there in these professional words to basically take people's minds away from the truth. Relativism. There's all kinds of isms. We have Pelagianism. We have humanism, atheism, and all of these things that are out there. And it's really when you talk to people that are going to certain churches, they're so far away from even beginning to know what the truth is. They haven't a clue. Why would they? They're not being taught. They're not being led to the well. And they're not being shown the truth. It's very sad. Let us break their bands asunder and cast their cords away. Well, but wait. Something happens and the literary style changes a little bit here. Uh, let, let me ask if, uh, Greg, could you read verse 4? He laughs at them. The world rises up against Jehovah, led by Satan, and God is seated. He's not nervous. He's not pacing back and forth. He's not wondering what to do and scratching his head. He laughs in disdain and he scoffs their efforts as if to say, What? You dare to rise up and defy me, Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot, get out and do not look back. I will burn that city. How about Pharaoh? I will drown you and wash your body up in the Red Sea at the feet of my people for enslaving them. How about Goliath? You dare to, to blaspheme thy name? I will bury a smooth pebble in your forehead for rising up against a man after my own heart. David, you dare throw my three humble Hebrew boys into a fiery graven image you made for yourself because my boys honored me. I will stand with them in the fire. I will personally stand there with them. And then there's Nebuchadnezzar says, Lo, I see a fourth. You dare stand up against me, Nebuchadnezzar? I will have you running out in the wilderness as a beast. Pharisees, 
Romans, you crucify my son, I will burn present day Jerusalem at 70 AD, and then in 476, Roman Empire will fall. Who wins every time? (laughs) Who wins? So whose side do you want to be on? Is it easy to be on God's side today? I wouldn't choose any other side, never, because He chose me. If it wasn't He didn't choose me, I wouldn't care one bit about it. He chose me first. He chose you too. He then, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Anyone? Think about this verse. This is a great one to talk about. Matthew. Right. Amen. Why does he laugh? Excellent. Only perfect. That's a great answer. Why does he laugh? Because there are no contests for him. There is no contest for our God. Jehovah Nisi. Where did we see that? Please tell me you remember this. Jehovah Nisi. Do you remember when that happened? That's a big one. This is a very, this is where an epic movie should be made about the book of Exodus, really, if there's going to be some kind of Christian movie. I mean, Ten Commandments, was, that was pretty good. But there should be, um, this, this is a big one. Here, here, Jethro had already told Moses and said, listen, you're getting too old for this. You're going to have to talk to some elders. You're going to need a good executive who knows how to delegate authority, and you need to get some help. So all of a sudden, this wonderful young man, Joshua, shows up, and he becomes his young apprentice. Then all of a sudden, now you've got to kind of turn your heads forward to what happens with Saul when the Lord was furious at Saul, because this connects. The Amalekites came in on the Israelites, and the Lord told Moses, elevate your arms. Remember that? Get them up. And he couldn't do it because he was too old and his arms kept flopping down. And when they were flopping down, the Israelites were losing. He said, as long as your arms are up, the Israelites will be winning. So he had Aaron hold his arm up and I was some other family member. I think it was another brother-in-law, I think. I can't remember. I'm sorry. But he had both arms elevated. The Amalekites were defeated. Joshua wins. Moses says he declares God as Jehovah Nisi, the God of banners. The banners were up because another victory. God never loses. And then later on, the Lord tells Saul, you defeat and you destroy those Amalekites because they were pulling up the rear and they were killing the women and the children and they were murdering my people. You destroy them and Saul wouldn't do it. And that's the connection all the way into the book of Samuel. You see how this connects? It's incredible, isn't it? Matthew. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's the only time you see that in the Bible is Jehovah Nisi. That's one time. And that's one thing you don't want to miss. Verse 4, anyone else? He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. What does he mean by derision? Anyone? Right. It just totally, their reasoning, their decisiveness, their ultimate disparity will be in the fact that these men who rise up against him will be totally in the grip of ambivalence, totally confused. He will have them in derision, and he will confound them completely. And there is absolutely no way out of it. And we know that because we go all the way back to Philippians. 
Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is who? Lord. Didn't we just read here against the Lord? Well, He's going to avenge His people. Every knee shall bow. You love the Lord. You're going to be standing. You're going to watch in that. You're going to watch this. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I say it's better to do it now on this side of the dirt. It's better to do it now. It's going to be too late then. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Verse 5. Let's go to verse 5. How about uh, Fred Marianne? Can you read that verse 5 there? Psalm 2 verse 5. Here's the necessary conclusion. We see the word, then shall he speak unto them in his wrath. I don't see any words in here like perhaps, or maybe, or we will see what happens from heaven. We'll just let it play out and we'll just see how it goes and handle the situations as they arise. Everything you read, it's just like going to Isaiah 53. It shall happen. It will happen. There's no doubt about it. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath. And we see here where we need to understand here that the Lord does not form a committee with the kings of the earth and becomes a political figure to try to compromise on their views as opposed to his views. Does that sound reasonable? Because if you walk out of the doors of this classroom today, you'll see 90% of people believe that the Lord will compromise with whatever they have carved Him into being. He's their cosmic bellhop. He's basically anything that they want, but He's not the God of gods. And that's what we see. We see that in so many circles. We see that you listen to the radio enough. You're going to hear a lot of like just real cartoonish type of, of, of messages. If I hear one more time, Turning on the radio, three times in the last month I've heard this, and I just have to turn it off. Jesus is standing at your heart, and He's banging on the door, and He's waiting for you to come in. If Jesus is doing that, and He comes in, He'll be dropping into a bottomless pit, because there's nothing there. Only by Him is there life in that heart, and when He comes to your heart, He's not coming in there begging you to let Him in. He's coming in there with the jaws of life and he's breaking it open and he's kicking that wicked door down and he's coming in to rebuild it. That's called the eternal decrees of God, the providence of God, the sovereignty of God. We, don't, we would never ask him in on our own. We would never do it. How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? I am weary with my groanings. All the night I make my bed, to, my, my, my tears, make my, my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. That's a great point, Dave. How long? Well, thank the Lord we have a patient God. <laughs> We're still able to do the things we need to do because of Him. God of banners, we see Psalm 21 verse 9 says, Thou shalt make them as a fiery oven in the time of thine anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in His wrath and the fire shall devour them. This is a long way from smile. God loves you. And God wants you to be wealthy and enjoy prosperity at all costs. <laughs> Remember the old bumper sticker Pastor Mike Britton used to drive around with? It would say, 
frown. You remember, remember back in the 70s and the 80s, he had the smiley face, the big yellow smiley face? Well, his had a big, that big yellow-like smiley face, but the mouth was turned upside down. And it said, frown, God might hate you. <laughs> That's very profound. I don't want to hear that today. Well, we see this apocalyptic narrative here, and then we see in verse 6. And I'd like to ask maybe if Brother Dave Cross could read verse 6. Yeah, if you're a Christian, that just has to melt your heart and make the kind of the hair stand up on your neck. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, my Lord and my God. We've been studying on Wednesday nights. We've been going in great detail about the events that led up to the crucifixion of our Lord in John chapter 19 and 20. And when you see how the Lord Jehovah has set on the holy hill of Zion His Son, now what we're doing is we're reading something. We are actually looking right now at a session meeting that happened before the world was created. Here is God speaking to our Lord Jesus Christ. They're all three in one, but they're having a session meeting in a sense. And they're speaking. And here's what's happening. And all these things are coming together. We see amongst this apocalyptic narrative, there is a pause. God continues, a beacon of hope, of love, peace, forgiveness, a shield for all they that put their trust in Him. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. Let's talk about verse 6. Who'd like to start? This should have everybody wanting to raise their hand when you read this verse. What does the Lord lay on your heart about this and how wonderful this is? Matthew. Right. Amen. He says, Yet have I set my king. Christ is our king. On the holy hill of Zion. Remember that holy hill of Zion, Jerusalem. And, and, and remember what happened at the triumphal entry when the, le- the palm leaves were thrown down and the blankets, the coats were put on the donkey and Christ rides in and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're saying, it's time for you to turn up the, bo- the fallen booth of David and, and, and wipe off the rust and to avenge us now. But what he was doing to avenge them, they didn't see that. It was far more important for Christ to fulfill the prophecy. He didn't come to turn that fallen booth over, yet He came to shed His blood because without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins and we have no hope without that. And they didn't understand that. Sadly, even the disciples at the time didn't really understand it. Peter defied Christ at Caesarea Philippi and he said, Thou will surely not go. And Christ said, Get thee behind me, Satan. That's how passionate he was about honoring what the Father had prophesied. Don't you question me on this. I'm doing this for you. I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And we see here the three offices of Christ. And what are they? Amen. Prophet, priest, and king. And Christ on the cross is offering up his priestly duties to be the sacrifice and the ultimate and tone of the unblemished lamb. And this is where... We see the opening here where the Lord says, Yet I have set my king. Anyone else in verse 6? Brother Gerald.
right? Right. That's a great point. What does he say? What all do we do? It's right, exactly what Brother Gerald says. What does Christ say all we have to do? Do we have to go do penance? Do we have to count the rosary? Do we have to go put endless amounts of money into the coffer over at St. John's here to get our loved ones out of hell into purgatory? Is that what we have to do? Christ says no. What? What is the simple word? What do we need to do? Believe. Just believe. Is that so much to ask? Well, today you'd think it is. Today you're basically called a terrorist if you believe in Jesus Christ. Don't dare mention his name in any of the schools or educational systems. At best, you might hear that he was a good teacher. That's not what our Lord God Almighty says. I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And let's finish. Let's just finish here. I want to read this. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. And what we are reading here is the coronation of Christ. All this is taking place. The speaker changes. Christ speaks and makes public, public a private conversation between He and the Father before creation. And remember when Christ said in John chapter 17, verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. And where does He go when he, after He dies and He resurrects 40 days later? Where does He go? Exactly. He's on the right hand of the Father. And he's there today. And Christ now speaks and takes us into this heavenly meeting between Yahweh and Adonai, Jehovah. How awesome is this? In his word, we see how Christ loves us enough to go public with this information. Well, let's finish with asking this question. Was our Lord obligated to give us this information to prepare our hearts? Was he obligated to show us the way? He had no obligation. There was nobody holding a gun to his head, metaphorically speaking. Nobody told him to do this. He did it. Why? Why would he do it if nobody made him do it? You know us, we always have to be made to do lots of things. Take out the trash, pay our bills, you know, change the oil. It comes up, it seems like in a blink of an eye, we're always made to do things. Why? Because he loves us. He would do that to show us and to teach us with this word, with his miracles, with him speaking audibly in the Old Testament, speaking in the New Testament, being physically here on this earth, and then transferring. We are now living in the age of the direction of the Holy Spirit. And we have to be very careful with that because we don't want to become like the church down the street that has um, um, faith healing services and all these spirit-filled physical things. A lot of churches do that. We've got to be careful. But we are very led by the Holy Spirit where the, Lord, the Holy Spirit teaches us and guides us. And I'm here to tell you as we close, you will never begin to even process in your brain a better gift than having the Holy Spirit in your heart. You, you, you fight for that. You defend it. You witness it. You read about it in God's Word. And you every day grow stronger and have the Holy Spirit strengthen your heart and prepare you to tell others about this. 
There's no greater way in trials and tribulations when things, you're hurting. There's no greater thing you can do to make yourself feel better, if that's what you want to do, than to make someone else feel better and to go help someone else, giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. We didn't get through these whole, all these verses, but we see here the power of God. Here's the coronation of Christ. And we see, he says, This is my beloved Son. And Christ opens up to the eternal love the Father has for Him, which we share as we love Christ. And we leave, we leave here, and we leave in um, Mark 9, verse 7, And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice that came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear Him. Luke 3.22, And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon Him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in Thee I am well pleased. And if our Heavenly Father is pleased with His Son, we need to love Him. I think that'd be, that's, that's what we need to do. Let's close this morning. Brother Gerald, could you close us with prayer this morning? Thank you.